0: Hello, and welcome to Anything But Traditional. I'm your host, Marvin Svee, and I'm so happy that you are here today to listen in to this week's episode. This week, I sat down with Zahava Moskowitz-Grodman. Zahava is somebody that I knew that when I created this podcast, I needed to interview. Her podcast is called Singled Out, and it talks about the struggles and difficulties, but also the meaningful parts of being single and overcoming the challenge that being single in the Jewish Orthodox world is. I knew I needed to have Zahava on because, as she says at the end of the episode, really had a pretty standard, typical life until she started dating, and it was much harder than she had thought. In this episode, we don't just talk about her journey, but we talk about things to keep in mind when you're dating. We talk about having strengths when you're dating, some advice for when you're dating, some perspective when you're dating. There's a lot of different topics that we delve into here. And if you're struggling with dating, or if you're just starting to date, or maybe your child is, this is really an incredible episode to listen to. So sit back, relax, enjoy, and think about it. Think about the lessons, think about the perspective that Zahav is sharing with you here. I'm sure it will be very powerful. It truly was for me. Enjoy the show. Hello everybody. It's Tamar ben svi and this if anything but traditional. I'm so excited to have Zahava Gradman, formerly Moskowitz, on today. As uh, Zahava is someone that really has inspired me over the years as she created her podcast called Singled Out. Um, Singled Out is a podcast where she has open discussions about the difficulties of being single within a Jewish community as well as ways of making the most of the time. Zahava made Aliyah with her husband just a year or two ago and has a background both teaching Jewish and secular education. She taught Tanakh in New York for six years and is currently teaching English in an Israeli girls high school. She is a graduate of the master's program at Azraeli and the Matan Bellows Eshkolot Institute for Tanakh and Jewish Studies. And I'm so happy that Zahava is here today because Zahava has really just inspired me and yeah. So let's delve into it. Zahava, where did you grow up and what was your family like? Well, first of all, thank you
1: for having me on Tamar. I'm of really course. excited, Fiona. I know that you have a really wonderful following and I've posted some really great content. Um, where did I grow up? So I originally grew up in Great Neck in New York. And when I was in high school my family moved to West Hempstead. And I lived there until I made Aliyah
0: about a year and a half ago. Very nice. So was that something that was hard the move? Was it like just it is what it is? How was that move for you? I would say that it was hard
1: because my family was very involved in the community in Great Neck. And we had a really wonderful upbringing and childhood there being very involved in the community and the shul specifically my dad was one of the rabbis in the shul there and he also taught in the local school in North Shore where I attended also as a student so it felt very involved and like we really were part of the fabric of the community which was very special I actually got to teach there for about four years also and North Shore sure? yeah to go back at the middle school nice. um, and you know work with some of my teachers which was a funny and special experience But I think at the time, it was the right move. I think we had outgrown different aspects of the community. And I think our family needed something different that my parents recognized. So yeah, we went to West Hempstead. And I loved it because I was in Central at the time. And like probably half of Central just was from West Hempstead. And it was really, really nice. It's a wonderful community. It's super down to earth. We like to say it's like the most out of town New York community. For sure. Yeah, just a very sweet, friendly, uh, low-key place that we're really happy to get to have um, growing up the latter half of our
0: childhood in. So thank God. Wait, so I didn't realize that your dad was a rabbi. So that is very interesting. Um, Can you talk more about what it was like having your dad be a rabbi? Did you ever feel like the child of a rabbi? I know that a lot of people struggle sometimes with being the child of a rabbi, being the child of a public figure, would that ever a struggle for you? Um, Yeah, I definitely would say there were times when it was difficult.
1: Overall, I think like anything else, it it depends on who your parent is and what their persona is in the community and how they're received. So thank God I was really fortunate that my dad and my mom too was very well-known in the community, but my dad was definitely more of the public figure. Um, He's someone who you definitely wouldn't look at and think he's a rabbi. And anyone who knows him, I think would smile at that because he's pretty chill. Um, and I think that him being someone who was very well known for being and still is an excellent educator and really driven and gave a lot to the community um, just, I think, made our family feel very loved and appreciated. So that was really special. I definitely will say it was challenging at times because I know that it was a conscientious decision to moved to a community like Great Neck, which has changed a lot religiously now and become much more towards the right. But at the time, my dad and my mom were very open to doing more outreach there and being very involved in the community, which was pretty modern and, it's, you know, some ways still is um, and has wonderful families. But I definitely think there was a lot of, of room, you know, for growth. And I think being the family that was very different was in some ways hard, especially because I attended the local school, which was extremely modern. I was one of the only Shomer Shabbos kids in my grade. So I think like playdates, my parents were like a little hesitant to let me go places knowing that a TV would be on somewhere in the background, you know, or I remember my act of rebellion was, (laughs) I don't know if you remember what shrugs are, Tamar? Shrugs? shrugs it was like a really ugly fashion phase it was like this bulky sweater it was like a crop sweater that you put over something to like add uh, sleeves i think so. yeah whatever this is going back a while so my active rebellion was i would wear a shrug over like a short sleeve dress when it was like the bar and bar mitzvah stage and then i would take it off like at the bar mitzvah, my parents weren't there anymore because all my friends wore short sleeves and cap sleeves and i wasn't able to um so, so i funny. think it definitely yeah i think it can definitely be confusing at times especially to kids when they're very different. Um, And sometimes that was very hard. And for sure, I definitely was exposed to things that, you know, I'm sure were not my parents' intention. But when you're around a certain group of people, um, it's hard to not get pulled into that. So I would say those are probably like the main tensions. But overall, I, I grew up in like a really wonderful, loving home that really centered around Torah and Chesed and that was really, really special to get to be a part of and have so many different types of people like come through our house. So I'm definitely thankful for that.
0: He was a rabbi of a shul? He is a rabbi of a shul or just of a school? So no,
1: he worked in in the Green Egg Synagogue, which is connected to North Shore. The middle school is actually part of the shul. So he worked in both of those. He worked as one of the main youth directors in the shul um and there was thank god a really like huge growing young community there and because he also knew all the students so most of the shul members were north shore kids that he was very close and they got to see on shabbos also and he and another rabbi were very close and ran like amazing programming wow um so yeah so was that a big change for him when you moved to west Hempstead? Totally, totally. I think it was a very hard adjustment for him. In some ways, it still is. I think he's, you know, we've been there 12, 13 years. So I think he's adjusted. But um, I think for both my parents, it was a big adjustment going from being pillars of a community to kind of no one and starting over. Yeah. And they knew that the reason they were moving was really more for their kids. So that was going to be what took center stage in terms of how are they adjusting? Are they making friends? Hushka agree is this more a fit for us? But yeah, I know that it, it was a very hard adjustment for my dad to feel like, he had built up so much of the community
0: and to kind of start over somewhere else for sure wow that sounds really hard and intense but, you know between sixth and seventh grade my mom married my stepdad and we moved from south jersey to north jersey um and that was also very challenging it was a very difficult transition uh thank god i mean there was a bunch of reasons why we moved and whatever and we were able to get back and figure out like a community life in West Orange, um. But it was it was definitely a change. It was definitely not easy for anyone to switch communities. Um, for sure. And yeah, always moving is hard. Moving is definitely hard. Um, I think it's funny. I, I actually was talking to Giddy recently about the fact that basically there's a whole like Mechila you right? The lottery for the housing in Israel. Um, and we were taught, whatever we signed up for recently, and Giddy was saying, Giddy's very into owning a home in Israel. And I'm like, ah, eh, if we own a home, great. If we don't, like, that's also okay. And I think it's because I moved so many times that I'm like, if we don't own a home, okay. Like, you know, moving is just second nature to me at this point. I'm very used to moving. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of people do grow up in the same house, their whole life and it's a very different environment and a different world when you grow up the same house, same school, same everything. Um, It's not easy. Yeah, for sure. It's a transition. So did you transition from – North Shore to a different school, or you were still in North Shore? No, at that point I actually was in Central because we moved when I already started high
1: school. I actually was in shell habit the first year of high school, oh. um, and then I transferred to Central for sophomore year. So we moved in the middle of my sophomore year, and
0: yeah, I was already a student there. Nice. So you um went to Central, and then you went to MMY, and you. Didn't go to Stern, right? Where did you go? You went to Queens? So I actually did go to
1: Stern for one semester, and then I transferred. <laughs> You're probably noticing it being here. Um, yeah, I, I really didn't like Stern. I have nothing personal against the institution, and I know it's a wonderful place. I was very unhappy there. So about a, a semester in, I transferred to Queens College.
0: Can I ask what about Stern was not like your cup of tea? Sure. I think going from seminary, which is a very
1: intense experience and as great as it was, I think living with a lot of girls was a very intense environment for me. So I think going from that to then going to Stern, I just found the environment, number one, a bit competitive very intense. I mean, I think girls are great. But I think we make things a little bit too difficult for ourselves. if we all live together and just get very high strung about grades. And I think the dating scene there, I just felt like it was very tense. And the other thing that really did weigh on me was, I was excited to get to have some more freedom during college in terms of my free time and getting to explore education, which I was interested in or having a part time job. And at least the first year or two in Stern, it's almost impossible to do that because your schedule is really, it's long. Great. It's like you're really full-time learning and balancing a dual curriculum. And it's really hard to do that. So I just felt like the lack of you know, professional freedom and also just feeling kind of caved in um, led to my decision to wanna move back home and to go to Queens.
0: Got it, interesting. Yeah, I, I always said in college, I was like, I feel like I'd be probably better at queens but honestly uh, school was like so not (laughs) something that i even like i was not invested in school and um it was not the best time of my life like literally i don't Hmm. think any grade in school was like oh that was my year i shined i aced all my tests and i did so well and i was the head of this club and that club and i did this and that like now i'm very involved and people know who i am but growing up i don't know i just slept all of (laughs) like i slept all of high school and i was not no i
1: i really hear you especially as a teacher i i've seen a lot of students that you can tell school is just not their thing and if school is not your thing it's so hard as a kid because you're in it for so long and i almost want to tell them like it's okay like there's a life after school and many students really flourish once they leave the school system because it's not a fit for them and they find their groove and they find what speaks to them and how they can be creative in other ways. So for sure, if it's not something that, you know, really spoke to you, it's, it
0: was probably a miserable time to just have to keep going. Yeah, exactly. 100%. I'm like, it didn't help that I, everything was always changing in my life. And it was like, OK, let me just hold down my life and not you know, school is not part of it. Um, But this is about your life. And I want to know, what were your expectations for your life when you were growing up? And how those expectations change over the years?
1: I can't say I was a super introspective child and had huge plans for my life. Um, So I don't know that I have a real answer for that. I think... The clearest expectation I think I did have was that I would graduate college, whatever would maybe come after, and I knew I really loved education, so I probably figured I would do something with that. And I think just the natural course of, oh, I would, you know, date and get married pretty quickly, um, which obviously was an expectation that changed. (laughs) But um, I think that was probably my overall expectation was just that, you know, I would just kind of create a family life once
0: I was old enough to... Nice. And, um, okay, so in terms of that, right, there's a few different things I want to go into. First of all, education, right? I know that we just spoke a little bit about school, but what was it about education that really, like, intrigued you? What was it about going into education that you were so excited about? For sure. Um, I think in terms of wanting to pursue
1: Tanakh, number one, I always just had a really deep love and affinity towards Torah, and that I definitely attribute to my parents and the type of home that we grew up in. So that I really appreciated. Um, I had done some Hebrew school tutoring, some volunteering. I had been involved in NCSY. So I knew that I found the active teaching a really gratifying. And I think once I started teaching formally, I realized that, by Hashem, I had certain skills that I think lend itself to making a good teacher, both in terms of the organization, or I, I, as annoying as lesson planning can be, I do appreciate the process and like it. And I felt like I was able to connect pretty well to students, and to be able to reach them and find a way to be relatable, um, and kind of bring the material to life to them a bit.
0: So I think feeling feeling that response from them felt very gratifying. That's awesome. Yeah, I I really hear that. So did you ever think about going into more experiential education as opposed to formal education?
1: Yeah, for sure. I definitely played with that a bunch. Um, and again, I'm not speaking you know, ill of anyone who's in that field because I think it's extremely important. But from my years of experience in informal education and outreach, I found the disorganization to be really difficult for my personality. Um, and I just found it to be also not so dependable. So that I think was hard. And that's why I really decided just to kind of, if I wasn't to pursue it, it would be more of as a hobby and things I did in the summers and, you know, was involved with in my free time, but not to
0: pursue professionally. Got it. Have you worked in camps?
1: Yeah, tons. Yeah. My dad also ran the local day camp. So I worked a bunch there. Oh, um, yeah, when we moved to West Ham said he was the director of Hill at day camp. That's, you know, part of Hafter. So I worked there as well. Um, I worked in Camp Kaylee and Maura Shah. I worked on two anti Swiresnall programs. So definitely, um, definitely <laughs> been in
0: a few different camps here. Nice, nice. So, you know, the other thing that I am interested about in terms of your expectations is the fact that you, you know, didn't get married as quickly as you had thought you would or as you would have liked to um and i guess the question is like how that happened you know what do you think led to you getting married later you know than you had wanted to um yeah like why do you think dating was such a struggle or was it not a struggle and you just felt like you've just met the right person at the right time, but it just took a really long time to meet that right person. So I could be
1: wrong. I don't know if anyone who's dated for more than a year finds dating to not be a struggle. I think just the nature of dating kind of built into the process is you're putting yourself out there time and again. And so if you've been dating for a little bit, you know that either you've been rejected or just found things have not panned out. so no, I definitely wouldn't say that I found the experience to be like a walk in the park. And then, you know, seven years later, I, I met the right person. Um, I don't know. I think that's a very loaded question. I guess. I think one of my biggest takeaways from singlehood was that there isn't always a clear cut reason as to why something takes the time it has to take. And I know that for myself, moon and Bittachon was a huge thing I really had to do a lot of work on. And coming to terms with the fact that just because when I wanted something to happen doesn't mean it was the right time for it to happen. As ready as I thought I was, as together and mature as I thought I was, um, I think what was especially hard was seeing people who were, quote unquote, less ready than I was or had less maturity or experience getting married much quicker um, and wondering, so why is it happening for them and not for me? And I think that can become a very isolating feeling in dating because you can immediately turn it on yourself and think I must be the problem. That's not to say that I wasn't the problem, meaning we'll never know, but for sure there was a tremendous amount of things that I got to grow through and work from, um, because I had to, and because I really reflected on the process of, you know, where can I work? Where can I improve and make this experience more meaningful? Um, So for sure, I think there was a tremendous amount of of growth that had to happen. Um, I think in retrospect, once you meet the person, and I've talked about this a bit on my podcast too, that you sometimes get, like Hashem gives you these little gifts of visions where you can look back now that you know the person and kind of play the game of like, where were you when and and figure out and realize that I never would have met my husband before the time just because A, he wasn't from, you know, B, B. He was engaged when he was from, like, there were so many things that, oh, wow. yeah, that just timing wise, it, it wasn't going to happen until the moment it was supposed to. And I think, yeah, I think ultimately we, we never have the full answer as to, you know, how or when something happens. And that, that was really, really frustrating for me. But I think <laughs> I actually had on, um, on one of my earlier episodes in the podcast and something he said really stuck with me and that the grit and the callous he gained from being single really stuck with him in many areas of his life. And I think you get this naive approach when you're single for a long time. I remember I would look at my friends who were married and be like, how are you ever upset at anything? Like, how is anything ever so bad that like you're, you fight or you're in a bad mood? Like you're married, you won the lottery. You're so lucky, like it's only uphill from there. And then I think you get married and is incredibly thankful Grace Lazam, you realize having the stamina and humility to recognize that we don't understand a lot it's gonna hit you in the face really hard in many areas of For your sure. life yeah so it definitely was a good idea
0: in regards to infertility i also feel the same way in terms of like the grit you know and perseverance and uh tenacity and also not just that but patience like i always say I was not a patient person before going through infertility and now I feel like I've learned a lot about patience and being patient and I think it's yeah I definitely think that there is a lot of like I know how to not be in a rush I know how to not like be stressed out by you know waiting like my whole life is waiting you know yeah no that's a
1: huge that's a great point I mean, I think it's a great skill to also have if you're going to live in Israel also, just because you, I mean, as you were talking just briefly before this episode, I feel like there's always things that come up that you have to be patient for. But yeah, patience is such a huge media. So that's amazing that you felt like you really improved in it.
0: Yeah. And and I think from every struggle in our lives, right? Like there's always something that we can learn, can take away from. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that, you know, that's something that is very important in this podcast in general. And and I think it's also something that, you know, when I introduced you and um in your bio, right, one of the things that we said was your podcast Singled Out isn't just talking about having open discussions about the difficulties of being single within the Jewish community, but it's also making the most of it and making the most of your time and making the most of, you know, being in that um, time period where you are single. And I think that that is right. really the blessing in challenge that there's always something to learn there's always something to take away there's always something that we have to learn from grow in you know and that's definitely a big part of struggle in general um I am curious how you met your husband how did you meet him is he older than you younger than you um Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about meeting your husband. For sure. So Jesse and
1: I met two and a half years ago. Um, It's a funny story. So he's about and he became from an Israel. Um, He started his journey through Maor when he was um, in Stanford. And they have a lot of really wonderful outreach programs. Where did he grow up? He grew up in New Hampshire, but he oh. was really more exposed to Orthodox Judaism when he was in Stanford. And they have, it's, I guess, similar to Hillel, but Meor is definitely, it's, whereas Hillel is non-denominational, Meor is like very clearly Orthodox. And their main goal is doing outreach to kids on, on many different campuses. And it's an incredible institution. So through that he kind of went on different trips and israel experiences and ended up in yeshiva in harno which yeshiva it's called Machon he was living in israel um, for about six years and then when COVID happens i think he had done a lot of introspection about his own patterns in dating in general jesse's like a pretty introspective guy and He's a software engineer, so all that comes with that and the brain of a software engineer is he's very organized and methodical and really went over in a very interesting way, like a lot of the patterns of growth that he had dated in Israel and I think came to the conclusion that he might be successful trying to date in America. So his bosses were really nice and let him, you know, work remotely during that time, during COVID. So he took an apartment in the Upper West and came to the States through a family, but with the main goal of dating, and he stayed at another Mahon alum for Sukkot, um, whose wife is very involved in Shidduchim. Her name is Rifka Fox. She and her husband Rick and Rifka Fox are actually the campus couple for Penn State, um, and um, yeah, they're amazing. So he was in touch with Rifka, and. Very offhandedly, I was getting lunch with a friend that I hadn't seen in a while, and she mentioned Rivka and just said, you know, there's this chat fund who started doing, you know, matchmaking during COVID, and she has really great guys. Like, I'm not dating anyone seriously from there now, but all the guys I've gone out with are really good quality guys. So you should reach out to her. And I was like, I don't know who she is. That's also in general, when we get into this, I, I felt always a little ambivalent reaching out to Shad Khanim. And I try to only reach out to ones who I knew or people knew. Um, So I felt a little bit hesitant and she's like, no, it's really chill, you can just reach out to her. So she gave me her information and at the time she was so swamped. And she's like, I really can't get on the phone with you, but if you wanna just text me your resume, I'll keep you in mind." And so I texted her my resume. This was probably, I don't know, maybe like June. And I heard a piece of advice actually from the YU podcast that you should like every now and again, give like a little nudge to Sharhanim. like, hey, you know, updating my resume or whatever, like little excuse to kind of be on the radar. So Rosh Hashanah time, I was doing that and reaching out to different Khanim And I said, hey, Rivka, hope you're doing well, like just want to say hi again and, you know, reintroduce myself and some excuse of like, okay, hey, hey, think of me. Um, and she sent me one or two guys, and then I think maybe the second or third ended up being Jesse. Wow. So
0: That's incredible. Wait, so he's older than you, younger than you? Yeah, Jesse is five years older than me. Oh, wow. Wow, that's awesome. So you also said he was engaged for a little bit? Yeah, so he was engaged before uh, we met. So I don't know if you feel comfortable sharing this, but – Um, I think that that's also something that is a very interesting thing to delve into a little bit, not in terms of what happened, obviously, but in terms of dating somebody that had previously been engaged with that. Did you when did you find out that he was previously engaged? Was that something that um, was like a red flag for you at all? What were your thoughts on that?
1: For sure. Um, So. I remember actually we had a this is one of our favorite dates on our third date. He told me, but he told me saying, I'm assuming Rifka told you I was engaged once before, and i said no actually she she genuinely didn't um and we had like a very open conversation about it um I think like anything else in dating, I think the first time something happens, it maybe feels a little strange. Like the first time maybe you go out with someone who's divorced or maybe the first time you go out with someone who's younger, whatever like the stigma is, it feels a little strange. I think for myself, the reason I wasn't weirded out by it was because number one is Jesse was super open about it. Um, He wasn't at all angry. Like, you know, it clearly wasn't like a bashing session of anyone. It just was like kind of stating what had happened. Um, which I appreciate. And you can tell he had clearly processed the event in like a very healthy and mature way and had really grown from it. And for me, actually, if anything, I feel like that was a huge plus, not that I'm happy, you know, he or the girl had to go through that experience, but to know that he went through, you know, something adversity related and he came out much more mature and stronger was a sign to me, oh, this is the kind of person that he is, like he will grow and reflect from things that are difficult. Um so I think I think it's always like a little weird because I think, you know, the ego part of you is like, oh, you know, who are they and you want to Google them. And like, but no, I think once you realize like, you know, it's over and the person's you know invested in you, it's and as long as like I said, I think they've grown from it. It's not it's really not a big deal.
0: So that's another thing that you just mentioned with like dating people that had stigmas um, like divorcees or maybe a disability or, you know, different things like that. Um, and I'm curious if you dated anyone else that had, um, any things, you know, or that you found out about anyone that had, you know, when you were dating that had any, um, like other things that were more like red flags or things that weren't necessarily like a red flag, but like things that were preconceived red flags. Um, any other people that had stigmas, um that you think should be broken um for sure i think
1: like i stated before the importance of listen i think something that jesse's told me that i have a hard time agreeing with but i know he's right about is sometimes when we've been frustrated about trying to set people up and feeling like someone being unrealistic in their expectations is he says that listen everyone has a right to what they want and you know, like we can all maybe deal with the consequences of those decisions, but it's that person's right. So I would never say someone has to engage in something. I do think for myself, there came a point in my dating experience where I felt like I've dated enough people that if somebody quality related came along, but there was a stigma, depending on what the stigma was, I would engage in it. And that usually meant like doing research on the person, also asking people who knew them is really important um yeah i think dating people who are younger than you which again is like a funny situation i wouldn't say that's like a huge stigma but i know that people aren't comfortable with it and that i think was funny in certain ways but again as long as the person's like mature about it you shouldn't really feel the difference for sure um i think i think for me the biggest one was probably just going out with with someone who was previously married um I guess I do feel the difference between that and broken engagements are that I think there's much more that goes into just marriage is a bigger deal. You know, you've made a commitment and clearly, clearly something very bad had to happen for it to fall apart. So, you know, again, the same thing as broken engagement, you hope that the person came out healthy and that they grew from it. But, um, I think, you know, after speaking to people and, and, getting a little bit more of a sense of who the person was and hearing that, no, they're actually a really great, wonderful guy and this was just, you know, a very bad experience that happened. So you go out and you realize, like, people are people and everyone has a story. Um, So, yeah. I can't say I've dated people with so many different stigmas, but, um, yeah, that's been my experience.
0: You know, I feel like in dating, there's two different struggles that people have. So there's the one struggle of not being set up enough and then there's the other struggle of being set up a lot but with the wrong guy. Do you feel like there was one struggle that was more your struggle in the dating process? So I would say that I definitely had some periods where, you know, when it rains it pours.
1: where, okay, classic, I just said yes to one person and like three more ideas came in. But for the most part, no, I wouldn't say that I was like inundated with suggestions and people. Thank God, like, you know, I had people who were keeping me in mind. And the guys I went out with were for the most part like really good, nice guys. But I'm actually really, really happy. Like I do have friends that I know. Um, you can call it maybe power date or like take a very proactive role in dating. That was never my style because I'm way more introverted and I I found the dating experience very draining and I definitely had to learn to develop a thicker skin around it because it was really hard after a first and second date, you know, feeling like, great, was this a waste of time? Which I know we shouldn't look at it like that, but that's sometimes how you walk away feeling is like you get all dressed up, you plan, you think about it and then you can tell pretty quickly and so... I'm happy that I didn't go out so often. I also know from my own personality, I do better going out less times in a month or a year, but with like substance of people. I think that was a huge shift for me was when I got a little bit more picky with who I agreed to go out with because it just left me feeling a little better at the end of the experience.
0: That's very interesting to me because my friend is single and it's really a struggle. Um, You know, it's not easy. Um, And one of the things we talk about a lot is being picky or not being picky, you know, saying yes to a second date, saying no to a second date. Um, And I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that, like in terms of if you think it's important to always to say yes to a second date or most of the time say yes to a second date or if you feel like you know you know and just move on um in terms of being picky with the type of guys you know i i've been married since i'm 23 um and giddy was probably the fifth guy i dated and everyone else was like a one and done it was very or whatever like we had maybe one two three dates but nothing like substantial um, so I'm curious from you what you think in terms of being picky.
1: For sure, um, I think I think picky gets a very bad connotation associated with it. So I would say that probably a better word is just having higher standards, maybe. Because picky I think, it sounds like oh, I'm being unreasonable. But I was never, ever, ever a fan of have to go on a second date. Um, I agree that if you're not sure and it wasn't bad, it's Better to rule it out to have clarity the second time. But I really didn't appreciate the sentiment of you have to, you know, go out a second time. And there's been one or two people who really pressured me with people they set up with. Like I remember there was a family friend who said, you know, in my house growing up, the rule was always you had to give a second date no matter what, you know. So if you were my daughter, like this wouldn't be a discussion, but you're not my daughter. And my first thought was like, Thank God, like I'd be really happy, I'm not your daughter, but yeah, I think I think you have to give the person the credibility that they know themselves, and if they had a really negative experience or just were extremely bored, you know, then no, I don't think you have to force yourself to God again. It's your time, it's your emotional energy spent as well. So yeah, I will say that for myself. I know that a habit that I actually worked on a lot in therapy was because I hated the experience of quote unquote wasting time or being emotionally hurt or, you know, drains from going out again. Like the process sometimes of being in the in-between of like, I guess I have to see where this goes because I'm not sure yet can also be draining. And I was very quick to try if I was in that like gray zone to nitpick things in the first day so that I had a reason. Like, okay, this is why I'm ending it. And I remember my therapist said something really clear to me she's like to have a you're dating now this is your avoda the avoda is you go out more than once if you're not sure or you have to give someone the full chance otherwise you're not really doing it like so then what's the point point? and for me that really spoke to me because i know that it was something i tried to really avoid um and i just didn't want to do you know and deal with the emotional fallout of that but she was absolutely right that if you are going to be dating you should date for real and you should be all in. And if if there's a potential and, and you enjoy the person's company, but you're not sure, then I would say go. If you know, like, I hate it every minute, I'm not attracted to whatever it is, then no, I see no reason in, in forcing yourself to go out
0: again. Right, No, for sure. I, I also think it's interesting because, you know, I'm an extrovert. So it's interesting to hear it from your perspective on dating and being selective and, um all that another question that i have for you is was he the first balchuva that you dated was that something that when you were younger and you were dating for the first time did you expect to marry a balchuva like was that something that you needed to like change your perspective on or was that pretty like just that is what it is right so it's funny because i guess
1: maybe that would fall into the stigma category and i i didn't even count it but i know for a lot of people it is a stigma um i don't know if i would have like thought about it again so deeply I, I probably didn't assume i maybe i just pictured like you know someone maybe from a more similar background to my own um and it's funny i remember when i was telling a good friend like oh you know I actually think someone you know kind of seriously and she asked a bit about him i said yeah he's about you she's like oh that makes so much sense for you i'm like really she's like totally like bali chuba are just they're so genuine and like they're so passionate about their judaism like that makes a lot of sense and of course i knew that and that is what attracted me tremendously to jesse but i don't think i would have thought to have specifically said i'm interested in bali chuba because they are you know extremely genuine or whatever so yeah i'm obviously really thankful and i think that's something that really inspires me about him um but no, I don't think, I think the only, you know, thing is you kind of have to navigate. Okay, you obviously both came from very different worlds. And I think something that Jazzy's opened my eyes up to is, you know, growing up Orthodox, but definitely more modern Orthodox and him completely secular is, he says, I, I think a lot of Jews who are modern Orthodox think that they're very similar to secular Jews because you watch, or Balichuva, because you grew up watching the same TV shows and you get the culture in the same way but he's like it's not the same at all you had a completely different life you had a bubble of halakha and Torah and a very different Alec and perspective so it's extremely different and I and I see that tremendously in the way that we both navigate things and in the way that my friends and his friends approach things so I think that not that it was ever a sense of like discord between us but I think that was something that was eye opening in the sense of okay, wow, we're
0: we're very different, even though we're both from now, you know. For sure. For sure. No, I I, I very much hear that. What was funny to me is like, you know, I've spoken to my sister and Giddy and whatever about Giddy and I grew up more or less similar, um, but there's a lot of different types of couples that grew up very different. Um, maybe their first language isn't even the same or maybe they grew up in different countries or maybe they grew up, you know, just like maybe they're 10 years apart. And it's so interesting to me when people get married to people that are just so different than them. And, and you know, I was telling Giddy, like, I can't, ama- like a big part of my relationship with Giddy is movies and tv shows that we you know being 90s kids you know like that's a big part of our relationship and um i feel like it's hard when people didn't grow up the same way um even i see that you know like i always say in terms of giddy and i like when people ask us to introduce ourselves You know, I'm like, I have no idea what to say because I grew up everywhere. Like, I'm like, I came from New Jersey. And Giddey's like, I came from this one house on this one street in this one community. I went to the same school from K to 12. And it's just very different. Yeah. Like, I, you know, when I think that um, all couples have differences, but I, I, I think navigating those differences can be quite challenging and isn't always straightforward
1: (laughs) for sure but I think also it's what helps add to the beauty
0: of like the blended relationship because you hopefully complement each other in that way you know for sure no for sure absolutely I also feel like you know for Giddy for instance like he grew up best friends with all of his classmates and and I really struggled having friends in school and changing schools i changed schools three times from k to 12 um yeah and that's not that's pretty unique for uh especially (laughs) most people didn't change schools like i did i went from conservative to modern orthodox to a little bit more you know religious and it was it was really crazy um but it's really awesome when i see giddy and his schoolmates and they're like still best friends and i'm like this is awesome i never had that but like it's so nice that you do right um for sure so i find that really nice so okay so the, you know i'm curious now because we we kind of spoke about you making Aliyah, but we didn't actually go into it um so you made Aliyah after you met jessie yeah, so
1: we got married. We dated and got married in New York, and then we lived in New York in Queens for about three months because I was finishing my teaching job there. And then that summer we made Aliyah. Oh wow.
0: Okay. So did you know that you were going to make Aliyah before that, or you only like made Aliyah because Jesse was in, like wanted to live in Israel? How did that end up happening?
1: For sure. So it was actually a funny discussion because Jesse wasn't even so sure when he came to the state that he would necessarily be moving back to Israel. Oh, wow. I think he had a good experience, but in some ways a challenging one. And I think he felt like if if the situation presented itself and it made sense to stay in the state, that he would be open to that. Um, It's also funny that he had never experienced like American religious Jewry because he wasn't from when he grew up in America. And this is the first time he was coming back. And I remember him saying, like, you know, I kept hearing in Israel about all these communities, like the Five Towns and Teaneck. And he's like, I'm from New Hampshire. Like, what are these places that people are holding them to these crazy esteems? And I think he felt, again, not to speak ill of any community. I think he just felt a little let down that these communities were were put on such a high pedestal. And I think overall, the, the Jewish life in America is way more challenging in many ways. Um mm-hmm
0: than lives in Israel. Can you elaborate on that?
1: Yeah, I think, um, and again, like I, I know I'm a product of that. I'm extremely grateful and thankful and there's tremendous amount of Torah and good that comes. But I do think number one is you're heavily battling, at least in the monorthodox community, you're heavily battling, and probably even in other ones as well, but Western culture, which seeps in you know, to almost all societies, and those values, I think also coming at a time when it was COVID and a lot of protesting and the elections was just a crazy time in America. And I think seeing a lot of things fall apart was very eye-opening of like, well, this would be where we would settle and raise a family potentially. Um, and I think he just felt the, the flavor or like the passion of some of the communities that he visited lacking a bit compared to Israel, where I think it felt a little more
0: intentional. Um, so and for you Aliyah was always in the cards or it was not like how you end up here oh so, yeah and so
1: obviously yeah. you know things from Hashem it definitely was not always in the cards I only really really considered it when I came for the fellowship for Matan which was the year COVID broke out so that ended early but that summer I was planning on staying and making Aliyah and then you know COVID happens and I ended up oh, wow. going home and my flight back got canceled and ultimately, I made the decision to stay in America, which I don't regret, because from what I have heard, it was very hard to be in Israel during the pandemic. And I think that being my first Aliyah year would have been really difficult, but I knew I always wanted to come back. Um, so I really liked that. I remember Jesse called one of my closest friends as a reference, and he just asked a few questions about me and then hung up and then called back minutes later and was like, oh, by the way, like, would you want to live in Israel? And my friend said, yeah, she definitely would. So I I knew right away that he appreciated moving to Israel. And that was a big deal for me. I think initially we thought we would maybe stay for the first year in America and just settle and get to have some time with family and then go. And then I just had this nagging feeling of like, we're gonna be one of those couples that get stuck here and it's not gonna be easy, let's just go. Um and we spoke about it back and forth, and,
0: and thank God, we were both on the same page to want to move back. That's awesome. So now you live in Javia and you are a teacher, and what does he do? He's a software engineer. Very nice. Does he work in Tel Aviv or in Jerusalem? So it's
1: actually the first year that he's not, he's not commuting to a job, which is really amazing. Uh, he has worked in Tel Aviv, he's worked in Renana, but he is right now working actually for an orthodox, like it's a from company called triple well and it's based out of the oh. company yeah so it's like a ten-minute. have you rate. heard of it yeah yeah of course, of course so funny most people haven't some are always like impressed when
0: people oh, do. that's so funny i feel like it's a pretty well-known company that's so funny that you feel like most people haven't heard of it okay yeah. i mean yeah i i've heard of it um a bunch yeah just from like different people and i know that a lot of like home talk people went to triple whale and um yeah, but that's awesome that he doesn't have that big of a commute. Yeah. So that's amazing. And um, yeah, so I guess, you know, one of the last questions that I have for you before we wrap up is, you know, obviously we spoke a lot about you, uh, about dating, about meeting your husband, but how old were you when you got married? I feel like that is important to also mention. Sure. I was 27. So, you dated for how many years, would you say? Seven. I started when I was 20. You dated for seven years. And what what do you find was, like, the hardest part of being an older single? Um, Did you feel like you were an older single at 27? Like, 27 is still relatively young. Yes, a lot of people get married in the Orthodox world, you know, between 20 and 24 and I feel like, you know, at the age of 24, it's like all of a sudden you become this older single. But um, did you feel like you were really like an older single or not as much? It's a good question.
1: I definitely struggled a lot emotionally in singlehood. I don't know if I ever felt like an older single, especially because anywhere in the 20s and even like 30, I don't know, like. I'm always nervous to say something because it might be a totally different from of experience. But I still viewed those age, you know, gaps as being very young. And I think there was a few factors that helped. That number one is that when I worked in one of the schools I worked in, it was a very modern environment. And so a positive of that was that all the teachers looked at me like I was a baby, you know. And I've heard this from friends as well that work in places that are not Jewish that, like, you hear anywhere in the 20s, they're like, you're such a baby. Like, I'd be dating when I was 24, 25, 26. And they're like, you're so young. And I think that was so nice to remember. Like, it is a very young age. And obviously, in the Jewish community, it's a different story. I think also, it depends on your chavra as well. And I would never say for better, because, of course, I'm not happy that I, you know, still have friends that are single. But I think something that was really helpful to me was that a lot of my close friends didn't all get married at the same time. So it didn't feel like where I know people do have this where like I'm I'm the last one or, you know, every five months there's another wedding. And so it felt like I still really had a really close group of, of friends to hang out with and to enjoy life with. So I think that really, really… That's incredible. …was a huge place for me. Um, yeah. So I don't think I ever felt like an older single. But probably the hardest thing was, I would say two things. I would say one is that I think the reality is, is that the longing and aching for something, the longer you don't have it just tends to deepen. You know, I'm sure you can feel that way in front your fertility that, yep. <laughs> if you would look back at you know, your journey the first year versus now, you pro- it's probably like a burning hole of like you know, every every month becomes like a new year of like, wow, it's
0: I still don't have it, and but you also become numb. I feel sometimes like I feel like there's this sense of like, I yes. think sometimes you can, yeah. It's interesting. One of my friends it got married at like 33, and she told me that the year before she met her husband on Yom Kippur, she could not even daven. She was like, I never thought I'd get married, and I didn't even daven for that Yom Kippur because I just. It, it was just totally out of the question. Like, I, I just wasn't going to get married. Um, and thank God she
1: met her husband. But. For sure. Because that's a very natural response. And I think for me, the times where I had that, it was right before, like, the numbness came right before the surrendering. Like, I think from that, you can usually segue from, it's just going to happen. I don't even know. Do I care? Like, it's just not, I don't, am I doubting for it? Like, you just throw your hands up completely. And I think from that place of like indifference, you can, at least I had the experience of being able to segue into a surrendering of like, you know what, Hashem, I really don't know. And I really have no control. And I really have to just fully submit to you. And I think those are the places where I had usually, I know it was right, it was right around that time that I did meet Jesse, but usually where sometimes you have the most clarity in terms of, you just have no control. So I would say that the first painful piece was like this deep aching feeling that you don't even realize extends far beyond just marriage. It it starts to then seep into wanting children and a family and feeling like, oh my gosh, like, you know, you see your friends having children and moving on. And there's this like really big ache in that. And the second piece was just really, really feeling like, because thank God for – most of my life before that I hadn't really struggled with much in terms of you know like I I got great opportunity to teach or went to great schools so the feeling of I'm actually really in control of nothing (laughs) and I mean except for our response you know and just this humbling feeling of I have to just let go, um, which for me was extremely difficult because it was something I was really not good at.
0: Yeah, no, I I very much hear that. I mean, I think it's the same way with like patience and and surrendering and remembering we're not in control. And I think that that's a very very powerful and important lesson yeah. that our challenges give us um, over the years. Of you know, and I think I think everyone's brought to that at some point or another, but um, it really depends on, you know, how we're brought to it. And, uh, you know, for me, it has been really fertility for you. It was, you know, being single and um, yeah, it's not easy, but these challenges make us who we are and they make us stronger. Um, okay. So Sahava, so um, I know that we're wrapping up now and I wanted to just ask you, you know, two last questions before we actually wrap up. The first one is, what is one message that you have for older singles, or what is one message that you have for um not even just older singles, but what is one message that you have for the world at large to be a little bit more open minded um be a little bit more accepting, less judgmental? Do you have any like last messages that you want to give
1: um for sure um Wow, there's a lot that's in there. I would say, um, I guess just because I feel very passionate about singlehood, that my advice for singles at any stage would be to be very intentional about your environment. I don't think we give enough credit to realizing how sensitive we are to our environment, whether that's physically, like geographically, where you live if you live in a place that you don't feel good in, for example, and I know people like it, but I intentionally never lived anywhere near the Heights or the Upper West Side, because I knew physically in my body, I I didn't like how I felt when I was there. Um, and I knew for me, like, that meant being and living at home. But really, I just think in general, like, even, you know, the concept of maybe moving or changing things up or being in a place that excites you. But I think Especially when it comes to the people you surround yourself with, it can change your experience in English tremendously. In terms of the mentorship and support that you have, you know, that's invaluable and you should definitely surround yourself with healthy, wonderful mentors or therapist or relatives. But friends, like I, I think the biggest thing that I changed in was my attitude towards friendship and people I would surround myself with. And I think we don't realize how quickly we are influenced by the environment around us. So I would say be intentional about that. Like take stock, look at that, be around people who make you feel good. And if you're not, maybe invest in different friendships or a different job that, you know, you like because you're spending everyday living. So if you're just going to be upset and miserable, like it's just, you know, it's only going to make whatever experience you're struggling with
0: that much harder. So that would probably be my advice. 100%. And then the last question that I have for you is Do you have a pusuk or a quote that really took you through this difficult time that really helped you weather the storm? Any pasuk or quote that you can leave us off with?
1: Yeah, so it's fun. I actually framed it. <laughs> uh, it's sitting here on my bookshelf. I happen to love the pusuk from Yuriyahu. We say it on Yom Kippur. It's Homer Bayad hayotzer, kena sembiad beyad Israel, That we are like clay in the hands of the potter, and we say it, you know, every every year on in like the beautiful poem that we say in Yom Kippur. The reason I love that is because I think, like I said for myself, recognizing that we're in someone else's hands was very difficult, and in some ways is still a very difficult concept for me to come to terms with. That ultimately, we're being molded by Hashem's decisions. And of course, we have a role in that, but that he is molding us and he's the one in control. And I love the flip side, which is also that we are like clay and that we have this beautiful ability to change and to grow. And so even though Hashem, you know, might decide certain things for us, which are hard for us to wrap our heads around, there's a huge growth process that's possible in that as well. And even the people, you know, around you is hopefully people grow and
0: evolve and change. So, that for me, um, I would say, is a really meaningful process. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, Zahava, it's been amazing having you on and hearing your story and getting to know you a bit more. And um, I look forward to hopefully speaking more in the future. So, yeah. Likewise. Thank you so much for having me, Tamar. Awesome, awesome. All the best. Thank you, Zahava, for coming on to this week's episode of Anything But Traditional. I'm so happy you came on to share your perspective and your experience with what it was like dating in the Jewish Orthodox world. As somebody that got married at 23, I don't have as much perspective on what it means to date until I'm 27, to date for many, many years, date different guys, and really struggle with finding my perfect partner. I never had that journey, but many people do. And you're not alone if that's you. In this episode, we talk about that journey. We talk about different parts of the journey, different things to look out for. And we really unpack it. So there's a lot to unpack here that with, If you want to continue the conversation, please head over to Tales of Tomorrow on Instagram and do so. Share your thoughts in the question box, an the anonymous question box and let's talk about it there's really a lot and you're not alone so let's talk it out together and please remember that if you want to sponsor an episode if you want to buy an ad for an episode now's the time to do so so go ahead buy an ad get a sponsorship get a dedication and looking forward to being in touch all the best